Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We love to have you join us here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. In Orlando. Now, here's the story. We get on the air because of the engineering skills of Alan Dempsey. Boy, he's good. Good at what he does. And Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And uh, Steve Strang is with us in this first segment. Uh, Good friend, founder and CEO of Charisma Media. We're going to talk about his new book, God and Cancel Culture. Stand strong before it's too late. Steve, first of all, welcome. Uh, good to catch up with you. How you doing? I'm doing great, and thank you for the opportunity to be on your program. It's, it's always good to talk to you. Steve, what's the background of this book? Why did you write it? Well, there's a very serious thing going on in America. There are people who have an agenda. I call them the far left. They're moving us more and more towards socialism. Anything goes regarding sexuality. And if you don't agree with that agenda, uh, they cancel you. Uh, If you write a book, put a post on Facebook, uh, say something on a uh, TV show or something, and they don't like it, it, they won't run it. Uh, And it covers a lot of things. It covers political things. I mean, Mike Lindell, um, inventor of my pillow, there are stores that won't carry his pillow because he has the audacity to question some pretty obvious uh, examples of election fraud. Uh, I mean, who would have thought that someone's politics would affect what's sold in stores? And it's affecting more and more people. And if you're a conservative, and especially if you're an evangelical Christian, you're going to see yourself canceled. It's happening more and more. It's kind of quiet. It happens one by one by one. I mean, even Christian ministries are having their credit cards canceled by companies that are woke and, quote-unquote, don't like their values. It's very serious. We've always had disagreements. Uh, There's always been people that disagreed even about Christianity. We've had blasphemers and people that hated church people and so forth, but they never canceled our right to even make a living. There's examples of where uh, people... uh, liked a tweet or something, and actually were fired from their jobs. I document a lot of these things in uh, God and Cancel Culture, and I felt that I needed to address it because we have to stand up to this, or it's going to be too late to turn the tide. Uh, Chapter 3, Steve, is an interesting one, Controlling People Through COVID-19. What are you writing here? 
Well, this is one more example of if you don't go along with the standard line. You know, there's a standard line with the CDC and others that vaccines are good. Um, you're bad if you even question the vaccines, even though apparently 17,000 people have died after getting the vaccine. But if you if you even mention it, you're canceled in a lot of venues. Uh, there are respected doctors who have found that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin actually help people get better from COVID um, if, if they take it early enough. If you even mention that, they, they call these doctors quacks. Um, they're deplatformed. You know, uh, there were videos that some of these doctors, they call themselves frontline doctors. Uh, they got millions of views, and as soon as they went up, they were taken down, and then when people shared it, it was taken down again. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, this is a terrible pandemic we're dealing with, and here are some very safe drugs that were discovered uh, to help. They call it off-label. There's a lot of medicines. In fact, someone told me, and I haven't had a chance to uh, verify, but someone told me that about 20% of the uh, prescriptions that are prescribed are basically off-label. It's where they found that it had a uh, another benefit that they didn't know when it went through the FDA approvals, and it's too complicated to go through all those approvals. Uh, hydroxychloroquine is safe and sold over the counter in many countries, and people, th- these doctors who use it, have a very, very high success rate. The question about COVID um, is not if you get it, it's if you die from it, and the vast majority do get better. Um but, I mean, it's just crazy that the medical community would be split like this. You've got to be politically correct, so to speak, or they cancel you. And that uh, really has nothing to do with politics per se or even Christianity. But it's just an, another example of where the left wants to control what we think and what we say or else they'll cancel you. They say what you say is not important. Nobody needs to hear it. We want to pretend like you don't even exist. And it's getting more and more difficult to get our, our message out. And my book, God and Cancel Culture, is my way to sound the alarm. Uh, Steve Steve Strang is our guest. We're talking about his book, God and Cancel Culture. Um, chapter 4, Steve, fascinating. How the culture is canceling Christianity? What's going on? Well, I believe that there's always been an attempt to cancel Christianity, going all the way back to the Romans. They tried to cancel it in the first century. Of course, they weren't successful. There have always been blasphemers and so forth. But I believe that what's happening in our country, and I never thought I would live to even say this, is that it's, it's a march towards socialism, which is, just this side of communism, and communism is always atheistic. It always cancels uh, God. And um, I think that the whole cancel culture, the whole left thing, is a move to cancel God because it's only the Bible and Christians who believe the Bible who stop the kind of anything-goes kind of thing that we're experiencing in our country right now. Um, And... You know, we saw during COVID uh, that churches were considered non-essential. Yes, we had a pandemic. It was serious. Uh, And all the churches, 
shut down for a couple of weeks. And then when they tried to get open up in some of the states with left leaning governors, they were um, they were actually uh, there, there were fines. There were some arrests and it had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to um, where churches could open up, particularly in places like California. Uh, Che on um, the uh, pastor in Pasadena had to sue the government for his church to be open. They they imposed fines of $1,000 per incident per person. So in other words, if they had a church service and there were 400 people there, each of them was fined $1,000 each time they went to church. The fines were never collected, thankfully, because the Supreme Court ruled that that was unconstitutional. Hello, we have a First Amendment. The first right in the First Amendment is the freedom of religion, and also the freedom of assembly. Going to church is assembling. The Bible tells Christians to forsake not the assembling together. And during a pandemic, when everybody's all stressed out, they need the church more than ever, yet the church was considered non-essential. That was the term they used. And uh, I think it, I think that this is an effort to cancel Christianity, and, you know, like I said, in some ways it's always been going on. There's, there's, of course, there's a tension between good and evil, right and wrong, Christianity and all other belief systems. But this is where force of law and also the cultural elites are banding together to cancel people. Uh, there was a pastor of the largest church in Alabama who went through Twitter and read some things that, you know, people sent. It was kind of conservative-leaning stuff. I did not see the things, but I was told it was just sort of normal conservative links, and he liked them. He clicked like. And some I didn't even know that somebody could go and see what you liked on Twitter, but somebody from the left in his area went on and made a big deal how horrible it was that this pastor agreed with some of these conservative values. This person got the school board. The church had uh, satellite uh, campuses in some public schools, and the school board actually uh, pulled back and said the church could not use those campuses. Now, the church had other campuses and went on, and the church was, uh, I thought, very kind and loving. They said, you know, they didn't own the property. The school board did. But, I mean, how bad is it that you like something on Twitter and then it affects your church and all the people that go to your church. My guest is Steve Strang. His book, God and Cancel Culture, Stand Strong Before It's Too Late. We've got more with Steve. Stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Folks, we're visiting with Steve Strang, the author. Um, uh, The book is called God and Cancel Culture. And Steve, we've come to this topic. It's not just cancel culture, it's communism. Uh, What are you writing here? Well, I talked about it in the first segment a little bit about it. I think that the end game is socialism. That's what they even talk about socialism. And some of these radical 
groups that have emerged. Um, Black Lives Matter is a is a good example. You know, the phrase Black Lives Matter is something that all of us can accept. But the group, if you go on their website and see what they believe and what they espouse, it's really a form of communism. It's class warfare. The same thing with critical race theory is to drive wedges between races. And uh, communism has always been about class warfare. We don't really have classes in the United States. So the divide tends to be between ethnic groups. And they're trying to divide people. They're trying to make people mad, destroy the things that have made America great. This is what communists always do. They tear down everything that was, you know, traditional so they can start over with, you know, their theories. And, you know, we thought that we beat communism when the Berlin Wall came down. And, yes, it uh, had a severe setback. But the Chinese communists have come back stronger than ever. They're much stronger than Russia. It is not a shooting war. We're, you know, we're not as afraid of atomic war as we were during the 50s and 60s with the Soviet Union. But it's serious nonetheless. They've, they've decided that they can win. They want world domination. This has always been the goal of communism. And by the end of World War II, barely 30 years after the communists took over in Russia, they had a third of the world's population under their control. The only thing that stopped them was the United States of America standing strong and defending democracy. So they have to get rid of the United States as it exists. Uh, They need to make our country impotent, which we see in many, many uh, ways, most recently in the humiliating uh, things that happened in Afghanistan. You know, uh, uh, Canada and Australia are not that different from the United States in terms of our culture, but, you know, neither one of them is a world power. And also, if you see the very scary things that are happening, I mean, they arrested this pastor yesterday in Calgary uh, for having church services. Yeah. Arthur uh, Pavlovsky. And I'm just afraid that we're going to see more of this in the United States. In fact, Rodney Howard Brown down in Tampa, not too far from us, was actually arrested for having a service during COVID. Now, the Hillsborough County people backed off real, real quick when there was a lawsuit about it, and Governor DeSantis made sure that churches were considered essential. So but, I mean, he, uh, someone told me, a lawyer told me, that he was the first pastor in American history to be arrested for the crime of holding a church service. Now, other uh, clergy have probably been arrested for doing bad things, but not for holding a church service. Who would have thought? And a lot of people think, well, this is, you know, one-off, but it's a trend. It's a trend we need to stand up to, and we can be strong partly by not letting the bullies win, because people, just average people trying to live their lives, they see, oh, somebody got canceled, they lost their job, or uh, they lost their business, or lost a lot of business like Michael Lindell did, who, by the way, wrote the uh, forward for the book, and they say to themselves, I better be quiet, I better not say anything, you know, I better not let people know I like Trump, or that I, I'm against vaccines or whatever, they might cancel me. I call that self-cancellation. And to me, Pat, that is the most serious of all because we cancel ourselves. The other people don't have to cancel us. And they kind of win by default, like bullies in a playground. 
and we've got to stand up to it. And thankfully, there are a lot of people standing up, uh, General Flynn, Mike Lindell. I mean, there's lots of people. In fact, in some ways, uh, Donald Trump uh, rising to power was to stand up against uh, kind of the trends in our country, which are not new. They've been going on for a long time, but it just seems that it's kind of happening now at warp speed. Our country is pretty evenly divided. But, boy, if you listen to the media or listen to some of the politicians, they think everyone is woke. Um, everyone goes for all these liberal things. Everyone is behind the cancel culture. Uh, they want to make it appear that they won, we lost, shut up, be quiet, go away. That's the essence of cancel culture, and that's what I tried to bring out in the book. And I hope that people, particularly Christian people, and, and really all conservatives, all patriots will realize what we're up against and do their part to try to stand up to this cancel culture before it's too late. Steve, you do a chapter towards the end of your book, being the church in the face of cancel culture. Uh, what are you telling us there? Well, as a Christian, I believe that these things are ultimately spiritual. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And the ch I think a lot of the mess we're in is because the church has been passive and silent over the decades and gone along more and more and more with all this stuff that's going on. I also believe that ultimately um, our culture will not get on the right path unless we have an understanding and uh, about Jesus Christ and, and uh, people are changed in their hearts and their attitudes. There are Christian leaders who are saying that in this terrible uh, place that we're in, that it's, it's causing and will cause a lot of people to turn toward God. In the Church, we call that revival or awakening, and I believe that there is hope that that kind of thing will happen. It, you know, it's small, it's here and there, you don't hear much about it on the media. In Charisma Media, we try to report that kind of thing with people like Sean Foyt and Mario Murillo. There, there are things happening. And, of course, the Church has always got to stand up uh, like Bonhoeffer did against Hitler. You know, he paid for it with his life. I write about him. I write about other brave people who stood up to this in other uh, times. And today we have heroes. Eric Metaxas is one. Um, I really believe that. He's been canceled off of YouTube just because he's a conservative voice. He's never done anything crazy. You know, he believes traditional values. He's concerned about this, and he's speaking up, and so he's canceled. Uh, they're going after the big ones first, and eventually they're going to come after all of us. Uh, I really believe that. Um, and that's what I try to talk in the book. I try to encourage Christians. This book is really written toward Christians. Secular people won't really understand it, other than to try to figure out what conservative Christians believe. Um, and I believe that if we are strong, if we stand up for Christ, if we're loving, um, you know, the Bible says to love our enemies, and a lot of these people uh, want to destroy us. They really do. I'm talking about in a general sense, maybe not a specific sense, and we have to stand up against it. The Church needs to be the Church uh, all the time, but particularly when we're in uh, difficult times like we are now. Steve, Steve Strang is our guest. Uh, at the end of your book, 
Uh, here's how you close it, a chapter called Hurricanes of Revival. And then your conclusion is all things work together for good. Uh, summarize that for us, Steve. That's important. Well, thank you. It's a continuation of what I was saying. You know, the bio, as a Bible-believing Christian, we have to believe the Bible, and it does say that all things work together for good. You know, already good has come in that a lot of pastors, I tell stories about pastors in California that got a backbone to stand up to uh, the radical Governor Newsom, and, uh, you know, people are turning to Christ. Those are good things that are, that are happening. We have to believe that. You know, that, that God's Word was true during the worst of Hitler's um, Germany. You know, the Bible does not change. We have to believe that we can't give up. I was trying to give hope. And hurricanes of revival, we, listen, here in Florida, we know hurricanes, and how do they form? There's a low pressure system, so low that the ru- that the wind rushes in to try to stabilize it, and it rushes in so fast that it becomes a hurricane. And Mario Morello, who I mentioned a minute ago, uh, gave me that word picture. He believes that there's a spiritual vacuum in our country that is so low that the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to rush in to fill that vacuum. You know, nature abhors a vacuum, and he believes that revival will come like a hurricane. That's his opinion. I hope and pray that he's right, but that's where that uh, phrase came from. Steve, uh, tell us what you want us to take from this book. That everybody who reads the book needs to understand how serious it is and we can't be passive, and that in our own way, when we see it happening, that we stand up and say something. If we see people being canceled like Mike Lindell, we figure out a way to buy some my pillows from him just to support him. We need to support each other. A lot of times people are like afraid to support people, like something bad will happen to them. Each of us can do our part. We have to be strong against the culture. Um, and when I say that, the culture that is pulling us away from biblical, traditional values that's trying to make our country politically go in the wrong direction. Um, we can stop it. It is not too late. But if the socialists take over, and especially with this election fraud, uh, we'll never be able to elect anybody again. I talk some about election fraud in there as well. I mean, if you even mention it, you're canceled. Uh, seriously. Uh, because they're trying to control. They already control academia, uh, the media, uh, Hollywood, you know, all the areas of influence, and in some ways even the church. There's a lot of churches now that are becoming kind of woke, and I think it's very serious, and I hope that's what the reader takes. And then also that there is hope. You know, uh, the Bible says, greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world, and we have to believe it, and we have to act on it. Steve, uh, what are your thoughts about Mr. Trump in 24? What do you think he's going to do? Well, I wrote four books about Donald Trump, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't so much because I was supporting him personally, although I'm a great admirer of his. Um, This book is not about Donald Trump. I've been told that he plans to run, and if he runs, I'll support him. But my book is not about that, and... uh, You know, if it's not Donald Trump, it's got to be Ron DeSantis or someone strong to stand up against this. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, Steve- I have not talked. I'm not in the president's inner circle, uh, other than interviewing him once. Um, I don't talk to him, so I'm just going on what people have told me that he does plan to run in 24. And you talk, Steve. You talk about uh, excitement. You talk about screaming and hollering. Oh, baby, it's going to be uh, <laughs> it's going to be amazing if that's the case. Uh, the lefty media will be out of their minds. <laughs> They're already out of their minds. <laughs> you know, the thing is that it's impossible to maintain that level of rage all the time. So maybe the pendulum will swing in the other direction. You know, there's a lot of Americans, even people we would call liberal, uh, people who uh, don't espouse any level of Christianity, who are very concerned about the way the the culture is going. I mean, since when can they talk to elementary school children and let a boy decide he wants to be a girl and start hormone treatment before even his adolescence? I mean, we we would have never thought this kind of thing would happen. Thankfully, it's only a few incidences, but it's treated as if it's okay by the left, and mm. it's not okay. And you know what? I guess what I'm saying is that this. And then they then if you speak up against that. They try to cancel you because somehow you're, uh, I don't even know what, uh, you're against transgenderism or something. Um, I mean, it's just crazy. It's hard to get our minds around it, but it's serious. And I hope that people will read uh, God and Cancel Culture. It's available mainly at uh, Barnes & Noble. For some reason, Walmart didn't take it. I'm not able to say that it was part of the cancel culture. They took all my other books. We sold tens of thousands of copies. But um, the book is out there. My own website is stevestrangbooks, with an S, dot com, stevestrangbooks.com. But, of course, Amazon and all the other places people buy books if interested in it. Steve Strang has been our guest, uh, talking about his latest book. And Steve is writing in, in, in uh, massive numbers of books, important books. Uh, This one's God and Cancel Culture. Stand strong before it's too late. Stay with us. we got more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Steve Strang, our guest in that first segment, talking about God and cancel culture. That's his latest book, Stand Strong Before It's Too Late. Uh, Steve, here in the Orlando area. Well, we go down to South Florida. Jimmy Scroggins is with us. He and his wife, Kristen Founders of Family Church, a network of neighborhood churches in South Florida. Married for 26 years. They have eight children. Their new book is out, Full Circle Parenting, a guide for crucial conversations. Jimmy, welcome to Orlando. How are you doing? Oh, man. So honored to be with you today. And, uh, boy, I feel a little inferior talking to you about parenting. (laughs) Well, we... we, uh, we both have big families, Jimmy, so I think we uh, we know what we've been through it all. So Yeah, we're just amateurs compared to you guys, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. So so what does full circle parroting mean? Well, Pat, one of the things we found is that uh, what, when you when you're trying to 
parent, especially if you're a Christian parent, you've got to develop good theology, and from good theology, you'll develop good strategies that will lead to good conversations with your kids. And our goal is not just to raise good little three-year-olds or good little six-year-olds or good juniors in high school. Our goal is for this whole thing to come full circle. We want our kids to grow up to be fully formed, productive, healthy adults. And as a Christian, my goal is for my kids to be Christian adults who raise Christian kids in their own right one day. You open your book with a chapter called God's Design for Parenting. What are you writing there, Jimmy? Well, you know, as a Christian, I've I've come to believe that the Bible gives us a lot of great instructions for every area of our life. I believe that God has a design for our marriages and our parenting and our vocational life and our financial life. And part of what I've tried to do as a dad and what dads throughout the centuries have done that have followed Christ is look into the Bible and see what God's design is. If we can discover God's design, then we can pursue it. And since we think God's the creator and the originator of all this, that God is the designer and the inventor of marriage and family and parenting, I think we ought to pay close attention to what he has to say about it. So that's what we mean by that. Let's go to topic two. Children are complex, you write. Yeah. Well, one of the things that parents struggle with is we, as our kids grow up, uh, we'll find them um, doing some really good things, and we'll be really amazed. They'll do well in school, or they'll be a part of a service project, or they'll do something really kind, generous, or sacrificial, and we'll say, wow, look how good they're doing. But then we'll discover that they have some things about them that we've got to do a little work on. So maybe you'll find out that your middle schooler is – uh, really good in, in certain ways, but then they lie a lot. Or you'll you'll discover that your teenager's been drinking, or you'll find that they've been looking at things on the computer that they shouldn't have looked at. And the temptation for a parent is to say, wow, I thought they were a really good kid because I saw them doing these good things, but now I've discovered these bad things in their life. And it's easy to say, well, they must be hypocrites um, because, you know, the good things can't be real. The bad things kind of outweigh that. And I actually believe that children are complex. Christian and I have discovered that our kids are complex. They're both all the time. And the Bible talks about that. In Romans chapter 7, St. Paul, greatest Christian ever, said, hey, uh, the things that I really want to do and I know I should do, I have a really hard time doing those things. So if we'll see that our kids can be genuinely sacrificial, kind, loving on one moment, and then they can have real difficult issues that they're wrestling with, even sinful issues that they need to deal with. And complexity allows us to take their sin seriously, and yet it also allows us to celebrate and take joy in the good things about them. And so instead of saying kids are always one or the other, I like to say that they're complex. How about this third topic? Jimmy Scroggins is our guest. Gender, sexuality, and marriage. What are you writing here? <laughs> well, this is a, this one's in the news, and this is a, a big topic that's really controversial. But again, as a, as a Christian, we're trying to discover God's design. And so Christian and I, you know, like Christians throughout the centuries, hold to a very traditional Judeo-Christian uh, ethic when it comes to sex and family and gender. So our four kind of pillars of that are, one, um, that gender and biological sex should go together. Our society likes to bifurcate those things, but we think that uh, you're born biologically, either male or female, and then your expression and your experience ought to match your biological sex. 
We also recognize that some children and adults struggle with that, and that becomes confusing for them, and we want to be compassionate, and we want to help people work through that. But we still think God's design is for gender and biological sex to go together. Secondly, we think heterosexual attraction is God's design and the goal. We recognize also that some people struggle with same-sex attraction or have other um, kinds of uh, experiences, and yet we think that this is God's goal. So this is where we want to point our children towards heterosexual attraction. Number three, sexual expression is reserved for marriage. And so the Bible teaches that uh, sexual expression is reserved to be between a husband and a wife who are committed to one another. We want to teach our children that. And number four, marriage is designed to be for life. We recognize that many people struggle in all of these areas. Kristen and I have as well in different times in our lives, and yet God offers us forgiveness where we fail, and he offers us hope and encouragement to do better as we recover and pursue God's design. So that's kind of the four ideas we talk about in that chapter. My guest, Jimmy Scroggins, he and his wife, Kristen, have written the book Full Circle Parenting. Now, Jimmy, you do an entire chapter simply called Technology. What's that about? <laughs> well, I'm sure, Pat, you guys have wrestled with this, too. Anybody with kids knows that uh, the smartphones and the Internet and social media is a real parenting challenge. And it's really hard to figure out how to navigate that because you have to use technology. You don't want to be a Luddite. You can't say that technology is evil because kids can't live in this world without it. And yet... Um, I think sometimes parents totally have a laissez-faire approach, and they allow their kids to just have full access. So we try to say, look, uh, if you're going to manage technology, it's got to be managed. It's not a battle that you win. You work on different strategies, and technology is changing really fast, so you're never going to be ahead of the game when it comes to technology. So we say, what if we manage it? So we always say things like this. Why don't you consider giving kids less instead of more? Why don't you consider waiting longer instead of giving it to them earlier? And we think parents ought to seek to be active managers of their kids' technology. This idea that kids have this private space online or in social media that parents are not allowed to invade is nonsense. As long as they live in our home, we have the authority and the responsibility to try to help them manage these tools that can be very productive and yet these tools that can be very dangerous. Jimmy, let's go to the next topic. This is uh, a big one. They're all big. Alcohol and substance abuse. Yeah, so as you know, Pat, a lot of families really struggle in this area. I know Kristen and I have extreme alcoholism in our family backgrounds, and so that's a topic that we're particularly sensitive to. And then we've been in ministry a long time. I've been a youth pastor, and we have the children that we have And alcohol is a great source of temptation and danger for young people, as are other drugs. And so we just think that parents need to learn to manage these conversations with their kids. Um, In some uh, conservative Christian circles, they would say, you know, uh, all alcohol is sinful. And uh, Chris and I don't believe that. Now, Chris and I personally, we we don't drink, um, but a lot of our friends do and people in our church do. And so we want to make sure that we're speaking um, biblically and rationally and helpfully to this issue, and yet helping our kids manage 
this idea of alcohol and drugs in their life. Um, and frankly, a lot of parents and a lot of kids are going to need a lot of help with this, whether they need counselors or therapists or work with their doctors or their pastors. We think it's important that parents are addressing these things head on, not sticking their head in their sand. They need to be proactive instead of reactive. Jimmy, uh, years ago I had an, uh, a Christian leader who referred to uh, uh, people, church people, Christian people who drank. He called them sipping saints. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those. What, what, what are your thoughts? What, what do we do with sipping saints? Um, do, do they weaken us when we see a, a Christian leader having a drink? Does that uh, affect us? Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to leave that up to every Christian leader to make that decision for themselves. I don't think the Bible prohibits alcohol, so I certainly, uh, you know, Jesus drank, the disciples drank, the Bible talks positively about alcohol in certain places, and yet the Bible does warn us about the dangers of alcohol, especially for people who aspire to leadership, because the use of alcohol and drugs can cloud your judgment, and leaders need clear judgment. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. One of the reasons that Kristen and I don't drink is in our church we have hundreds of people who are in recovery. And so the last thing somebody who's fighting for recovery every day uh, needs to see is their pastor out having a beer, and uh, I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. So that's one of the reasons that we don't, among many others. Uh, Jimmy Scroggins is our guest. He and Kristen, his wife, uh, are the founders of Family Church, a network of neighborhood churches in South Florida. Jimmy, explain that to us, uh, uh, your whole church network. Explain that. Sure. So Family Church used to be called the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, and our church originally was actually started in 1901. But um, back in uh, about 2010, we went a whole different direction, and we transitioned from the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach to Family Church. And instead of being one church that worships in one location, we have 14 different locations across South Florida, three different counties, um, multiple languages, And so we are truly a network of neighborhood churches. Each one of these churches um, has its own local leadership, its own live teaching. We don't do it on video screens. And we have, um, we're we're trying to put a neighborhood pastor in a neighborhood church in a neighborhood building that speaks the neighborhood language in every neighborhood that we can. And our goal is to use these little neighborhood churches as outposts where we can build families by helping them discover and pursue God's design. Jimmy, how do you evaluate the spiritual temperature of South Florida? Well, I think it's exciting the way that I see South Florida. South Florida is kind of wild and crazy. Um, I don't think South Florida is a very Christianized place. There's very few people go to church as a percentage. In fact, West Palm Beach, where I live, uh, was named by Barna Research as the most never-churched city in America. And so there's the highest percentage of people who've never been to church in West Palm Beach of any city in North America. And so we have a lot of people that need to be reached for Jesus, and yet I don't find people hostile to the gospel at all. It's more like they're just not thinking about it. And so I just don't think people are generally thinking a lot of God thoughts. They're just thinking about other things. And so we have the opportunity to step into a place where there's deep brokenness, drug abuse, alcoholism, rampant divorce, rampant all kinds of uh, people in all kinds of addictions and struggle and broken relationships. And we can step in and say, hey, look, Jesus offers you a better way. 
And Jesus offers you redemption, and Jesus offers you another chance. And we found that message to be very powerful. Jimmy Scroggins is with us. Jimmy, uh, let's dive into topic six, bitterness, forgiveness, and restoration. One of the biggest challenges that any Christian has, but particularly children, tends to be this idea of bitterness, because a lot of people have been hurt a lot. And when someone hurts us, the natural response is to want to hurt them back. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the bumper sticker, I don't get mad, I get even. Mm. But that would be kind of my natural bent. But one thing that happens when we receive Jesus and forgiveness from Jesus is when we receive forgiveness from Jesus, Jesus actually teaches us to forgive others. And it's vital for the spiritual, mental, and emotional health of our children that they learn how to repent quickly when they wrong someone else and how to forgive quickly when someone wrongs them. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to forget. You can't forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with the person who hurt you. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to put them in a position to hurt you again. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you release them from all consequences. Forgiveness means that you personally release the impulse to hold them personally accountable to you and let you say, I'm going to let God be the one that holds them accountable and the systems that God has set up to do so, whether that's the police or other mechanisms. But it's personally releasing the sense of holding them accountable. And it's a challenge, but if we teach our children to do that, we're giving them a tremendous gift. Jimmy Scroggins, our guest. We've got more with Jimmy. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're talking about his book, Full Circle Parenting. And, of course, you're plugged in here to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. My guest is Jimmy Scroggins, who's written the book with his wife, Kristen, Full Circle Parenting. Uh, Jimmy, uh, topic seven, friendship and mean kids. What, <laughs> what is that about? Well, it's important that we teach our kids how to be friends. The, the chapter is mainly about how you can build friendships starting in the home. And so uh, one of the questions that Chris and I get asked frequently is, how do you teach your kids to be so close? How do you teach your kids to be friends with one another? And our goal is that our kids would pull for each other and care for each other and uh, be there for each other for life. And we think the home, if you're, if you're fortunate to have more than one child, building relationships between siblings is a challenge, but it's also a great opportunity you learn to be friends with your siblings, then you can learn to be friends with all kinds of people. But then on top of building good friendships, you are going to have to deal with mean kids. So as our kids grow up, there's going to be bullies. Uh, there are going to be people who pick on them at school or on the playground. There are going to be people who are just not nice to them for whatever reason. And you've got to teach your kids how to handle those situations. And so we talk about that in the book, whether that's uh, – teaching our boys how to deal with bullies um, or teaching our girls how to deal with mean girls, especially as teenagers. That's a real thing. 
And, you know, part of it is um, not responding in kind. Part of it is trying to think um, how to love people as Christ loved them. And yet there is a time, especially for boys, when they, they need to be able to defend themselves. And so we talk about that in the book, and we try to talk as honestly as we can. Everybody may not uh, totally agree with our perspective, but we do share it in the book. Now, let's get to topic eight. A guide for any crucial conversation. Explain. Well, when we talk about um, talking to our children, we just talk about spending the time with them, building the relational bridges that it takes, um, investing time with our children so that they feel comfortable talking to us. We talk about having a sense of openness with our children. We talk about allowing them uh, freedom to fail and freedom to disagree. But the bottom line is that when we talk to our kids, we have to recognize that these crucial conversations are coming. And we have to have some idea as parents about what God's design is in all of these areas and many others. And if we will focus on what God's design is and focus on the unique um, thumbprint of God, that's uniquely placed on each one of our unique children and get to know them as an individual, spend time with them. Um, And I think if we'll build the kind of relational capital that it takes, then we set up these crucial conversations, not as confrontations, but as conversations. And many of these conversations, Pat, can't be had all at one time. It's not like you just talk about sex one time or talk about forgiveness one time or talk about alcohol one time. These are ongoing conversations that happen sometimes when you're not ready for it. They just come out of the blue. But as parents, we've got to be ready. And so that's part of what we talk about in the book. Jimmy, I'm curious about your children. Okay. Eight of them. What are their ages and and what are their interests and what are you seeing? What's the difference between your kids? Are you a better parent? With Kid 8 than with Kid 1? Uh, dive into that for us. Man, you know that's true. So our oldest is uh, 25. He's married. He went to West Point. He's married. He's a first lieutenant, 10th Mountain Division. Mm. Um, he's got a wife and a little boy. Really proud of them. Our second is uh, uh, 23. He and his wife live in Louisville, Kentucky. He's working on a master's degree up there. He's planning on uh, being a pastor, so he's training for that. Mm. They have a little girl. Got two boys that are in college. They play college football at a small school out in Missouri. I've got uh, two kids in high school, a boy and a girl, and they're athletes as well. They play football and she plays lacrosse, volleyball. And then I've got an eighth grade girl and a sixth grade boy. She plays volleyball. He plays football. And they just, uh, they're all just kind of growing up here at Family Church. Uh, we homeschool all of them. And then when they get into high school, we have a homeschool partnership with a local Christian school, and that's where they do a lot of their extracurriculars and so forth. And uh, look, our kids are all unique. They all have their own sets of uh, strengths and weaknesses and challenges and opportunities, and we're just trying to do the best we can for each kid every day. I do think I'm a much better parent for kid eight. In fact, Pat, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but my older kids sometimes coach me on my parenting uh, <laughs> with my young with their younger siblings, and they'll say, you know, you should do this, or you didn't used to do that. And I say, well, thank you very much, since you've been a parent for, you know, six months for instructing me, and 
<laughs> they they coached me up a little bit. But the other thing I say is, you know what, James? When you were 10 years old, I was 30. Okay, when Caleb was 10 years old, I'm 48. So I'm just a lot smarter and I'm a lot better person and a lot better parent than I was when you were a kid. Well, that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, tell us about homeschooling. Do you recommend that for uh, Christian kids? Well, we recommend it all. So uh, we've done it all. We've been public school parents and Christian school parents and, you know, homeschool parents. And in our church, we have all of it. And we see Christian parents succeeding in all of it. So we're grateful for every bit of it. Um, The reason that we did homeschool was more pragmatic than uh, philosophical or theological. When we started having a bunch of kids, we just realized that Kristen was spending her entire day shuttling this kid that did half a day kindergarten and this kid to first grade and this kid to the preschool. You know, she was going to multiple schools, started at multiple times, and she has elementary ed as her college uh, training. And I was a dean of a college at the time, and we said, you know, I've got a Ph.D., you've got an elementary ed degree. What are we doing? And so we took a step back, and we rearranged our schedule, and we're really happy with it for us. I don't think it's for everyone, but we're grateful that we had the opportunity to do it. And for anyone who's interested, I do encourage you to explore it. It'll be interesting to see what your children do when their kids are of school age. It'll be fascinating. It really will. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Uh, Jimmy Scroggins and his wife, Kristen, uh, have, have written a fascinating book, Full Circle Parenting, a guide for crucial conversations. Jimmy, how would you summarize our chat? How would you summarize your book for us? Well, I would just summarize it like this. As parents, we should be seeking to discover God's design for our marriage and for our parenting. If we're married, we should be marriage-centered. We should be on the same page as our spouse, and we should do everything we can to point our children to God's design, and that's going to require hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of crucial conversations with the kids. But we've got to have a good theology, especially a good theology of sin, understanding what our kids are dealing with, a good theology of redemption, understanding there's always hope, for things to turn around, there's always hope for a second chance. And I think we ought to have good strategies and good conversations that flow from the things we're learning from the Scriptures about God's design. Uh, here's a quick question for you. How do you feel about your kids playing football? <laughs> I love them playing football. I think it's great. All of them have played. I played. My dad's a high school football coach my whole life. I think football is a tremendous sport, especially for young men. Jimmy, tell me about your marriage and and how, how these kids have affected it. Positive, negative? What, what have you learned about marriage through all this? Well, you, you've heard the capstone cornerstone conversation, but I just think marriage is a cornerstone. And uh, Christian and I got married young. We've been married for 27 years now. And um, she's the love of my life. I'm grateful to have her in my life. We have a, we just have a really good time together. Of course, every marriage has its ups and downs. It's not a magic marriage. It's a real marriage. But um, marriage has made me a better man. And then I think that having these children has made our marriage stronger. It's mm-hmm. giving us, you know, children give uh, a husband and a wife some pretty serious projects to do together that are never ending. 
So we have all of these projects that are ongoing all the time where we're trying to trying to learn. You know, how do you how, when we had little all we had was little ones. How do you how do you parent preschoolers and toddlers? And then we had to learn about elementary. And then when they started going through puberty, how do you manage that? And they had to go through dating and then college. And now we're learning how to be parents of adult children. That's new for us. And my guest has been Jimmy Scroggins. Check out the book, Full Circle Parenting. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, here on the uh, Power Hour, uh, we had Steve Strang in that first segment talking about his book, God and Cancel Culture, and then Jimmy Scroggins talking about full-circle parenting. I want to tell you about my latest book. It's out. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. And we write about the uh, Revolutionary War period, but we focus on 25 leaders, men and women, who had key leadership roles uh, during that Revolutionary War period. And in large degree, um, their leadership skills made the difference in winning that war. Uh, I think God had his hand all over this country at that time. But these key leaders you're going to read about and their uh, leadership lessons from each one of them. Uh, So check it out. Uh, Revolutionary Leadership. Ravel is the publisher. Amazon. Barnes & Noble, you know the drill. Well, we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned now all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And have a great week ahead. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word.